Hello, everybody. This is John Hagedorn, and welcome to 1001 Stories for the Road, also known as Caffeine for the Curious, and your home for good old-fashioned entertainment. Ever wrestle a bear? I will never forget the outdoor show in Harrisburg, PA. This was back in the early 90s. 1990s, in case you're wondering. I was in the sporting goods business for 10 years, namely fishing tackle and related supplies, and had rented a booth at this Pennsylvania outdoor show to sell my wares. Three days of hawking product for a profit. Fun, but lots of work. I had just finished setting up when down the big aisle walks a trainer with a large black bear being transported in a cage carried by a forklift. I had seen a lot of strange things at sports shows, but this took the cake. The trainer walked the bear into the ring where the big brown creature sat down, ignoring the growing crowd of onlookers, which were all vendors at this point, since the show doors hadn't opened. The bear looked well-fed, his eyes were bright, and he enjoyed the scratching and care he was getting from his owner. I'm sure he would have been happier being free in a forest somewhere, but this episode isn't a plea for animal rights, it's just a memory of a glimpse at life on the road. And sometimes we run into the darndest things, This was one of those days. A team of helpers had set up a mat, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet, and cordoned off the perimeter with a rope attached to stands like you see in a theater. A helper had set up a cash box at the entry point to the wrestling area, and they'd also created a roped area where the bear wrestler wannabes could wait their turn before parting with their $25. As the morning went by, the center filled up fast, and pretty soon, the bear wrestling exhibition was in full swing. I caught glimpses, whenever I could, over the heads of the crowd as I worked my booth of the bear in action. Muzzled and declawed, in case you're wondering, he remained sitting, and the goal of the wrestler was to pin the bear on his back. He had two minutes to do it. It was hilarious. The bear took on all types of guys, large and small, and pinned them with one paw, gently, and none of them could get the bear to budge an inch. You never realize how much strength the bear has until you see an exhibition like this. They are powerful, way beyond the strength of any human. We tend to see them as just peaceful-looking big animals. But if they want to, they can do a lot of damage. I did a little checking and found that bear exhibitions have been going on for centuries. And these days, we're a lot kinder to bears than in days past. So, PETA, you have been successful. Partially, anyway. We're going to skip past the really cruel times, beginning with creature-versus-creature events that pitted bears against lions in the Roman Colosseum, and the bear-baiting events that took place in the days of Shakespeare, and stick with the man-versus-bear wrestling events that became popular back in the 19th century, the late 1800s, to be exact. Back when pro wrestlers wore plain black trunks and grapplers executed nothing remotely close to the moves you see on TV today, Promoters were looking for ways to add spectacle to the sport. Bear wrestling had first been a popular spectacle in Europe. The Europeans watched Bruin take on man in the mid-1800s, but it wasn't until later that century that the Americans welcomed bears into the ring. In the taverns in New York, wouldn't you know it, promoters put on wrestling exhibitions with semi-tame bears. The showdowns eventually moved to country fairs and carnivals, and in 1877 to New York's French Theater. That year, Thebaud Bauer was set to clash with a bear named Martin, and this was a big deal. A Frenchman with a thick, midnight black mustache, 
Bauer was not only one of the first wrestlers to ever don a mask, he was known as the masked wrestler of Paris, but as David Shoemaker notes in Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling, Bauer was also one of the pioneers of the man versus bear match. That December night, $250 was on the line in a two out of three falls contest. Tim Corvin wrote in Pioneers of Professional Wrestling that Martin was muzzled and had mittens on his front paws. Martin is the bear, for those of you who aren't following closely. The bear tried to throw the Greco-Roman specialist Bauer to the mat, and after 15 minutes worth of tussling, Bauer earned the victory. The path to that point is not what most would expect. Blecka wrote, Bauer reportedly swore up a storm while chasing Martin, finally succeeded in grasping the exasperated animal and flinging the poor creature to the floor. Personally, I can't see this happening, unless this bear was just a few months old. But the bear lost this one. The fix was in. 1877 appears to be the boom year for bear wrestling. Brooklyn's Daily Eagle wrote about a wrestling card that year that featured a a Pyrenean bear who wrestles all comers under the rules. The Gilmore Gardens promoted a fight between Pete the Wrestling Bear and his trainer, Adrian. That was also the year a businessman named Emile Regnier brought in two bears to wrestle at New York City's Athletic Hall. Back to the days of Rome again. Wrestler William Heister fought a bear in what ended up being a standstill. The animal's disinterest in the combat for show led him to neither attempt to throw Heister nor allow himself to be thrown. Regnier himself then took on another bear with a more decisive result. George Guype described the climactic scene for Sports Illustrated. As the crowd cheered and the sawdust from the stage filled the air, Regnier finally managed to roll the animal over on its back and hold its head and shoulders to the platform. These bears must have been drugged. Eventually, New York was not the only bear wrestling hub. In the Pacific Northwest, Mervyn Barackman, a man sometimes billed as Bear Trainer, made his name and money on the backs of animals such as Billy the Bear and Big Andy. In the 1930s, Barackman, a wrestler himself, traveled from town to town to exhibit his wrestling bears. Grapplers from that area, including Cyclone Mackey and Dr. Carl Sarpolis, were among those to face the animals between the ropes. The act slid from Walla Walla, Washington to Seattle to as far as Texas at one point. Big Andy, one of Barackman's bears, eventually made the headlines outside of the ring. In 1933, as the Seattle Times reported, the bear was discovered on a woman's front porch snacking on a kippered herring. Still apparently in a fighting mode, Big Andy took a swipe at the police officer trying to corral him. Lesson learned there. Never a corner a bear when he's eating. Years later, the phenomenon wasn't just continuing, it was spreading. Audiences in California, the Midwest, and beyond witnessed wrestlers charged with working with these muzzled opponents. Eventually, bear wrestling became popular enough to attract celebrities. In 1943, for example, comedian and actor W.C. Fields got into the act. As noted in the Milwaukee Journal that year, Fields had his doubts about whether he could hold up physically in the contest. He said of his pre-match training, Wrestling without bears going to be a cinch compared to making an athlete out of me. And while there were cases of novelty acts taking on bears, it was an endeavor legitimate star wrestlers endured as well. 
Fairs were a big enough attraction to have promoters ask talented rising athletes to risk themselves in there with a beast. One of these most famous beasts was Terrible Ted, a behemoth billed as being 7 feet tall and 680 pounds. Ted became one of the most prolific bears in the ring. The leader post noted in 1959 that the bear had competed in more than 500 matches. That number jumped to a purported 1,500 matches by 1969, as seen in a report for the Windsor Star. Dutch Mantel, known to WWE fans today as Zeb Coulter, once had Terrible Ted fight his battles for him. In 1987, Wendell Cooley sought to challenge Mantell for the Continental Championship wrestling title. The champ proposed that the would-be contender go through a fearsome opponent first. Ted was how promoter Dave McKigney, a.k.a. the Bear Man, made his mark on the business. McKigney had plucked him from a bankrupt carnival. The Bear would go on to face a variety of foes, including Bunny Dunlop in Toronto, the rotund Great Antonio, and McKigney himself, a pair of men who eventually made their way into the WWE Hall of Fame. Bobby Heenan and superstar Billy Graham both tangled with Ted, or at least another bear going by the same name. While working in San Francisco, Graham found motivation to leave that territory after being asked to take on a bear. He lamented in his autobiography, Superstar Billy Graham. This is not religion's Billy Graham, this is bear wrestling's Billy Graham. The story, the book called Tangled Ropes, that the ridiculous nature of getting pushed around by a bear killed his reputation for being a tough guy. He doesn't remember the experience fondly. Graham said, I can still feel the beast's coarse, wiry fur, smell its foul breath, and hear it snorting through its muzzle as it looked me dead in the eyes. Ted wasn't a happy bear, and I wasn't a happy wrestler. The run-ins with the bear Heenan discusses in Bobby the Brain, wrestling's bad boy tells all, paints a vivid picture of what the animal could do in the ring. He was asked to tag team with Baron Von Raschke against Ted. Heenan says, You're not going to believe it, but the bear could work. Heenan wrote that Ted could perform a monkey flip and a flying mare. At the end of one bout, he wrapped a towel around the bear's neck and pantomimed, choking it. The bear, amazingly enough, would lie down, selling the move like any other wrestler. Like Graham, the man who would go on to manage Andre the Giant wasn't happy with how things unfolded, though. As Heenan tells it, the bear matches often occurred in winter. The bears, who would much rather be sleeping, would sometimes feel the ice under the padded floor of the arena. That often led to the animal urinating. The wrestler would then find himself soaked in urine, adding a new layer of humiliation. Peter would be cheering at this point. Blassie's own battles with bears sounded a lot like Heenan and Graham's. In classy Freddie Blassie, listen, you pencil-neck geeks, the hard-nosed grappler admitted he was scared to death facing off against the large animal. He describes it as rancid-smelling and diseased. The truth is blurry about how long McKigney led the original terrible Ted to arenas around the country. As Andrew Calvert and Greg Oliver wrote for Slam Sports, McKigney looks to have started the wrestling bear angle around 1958 with the first mention on July 7th in Coburg listing Terrible Ted versus some foolish wrestler, likely McKigney. Nearly 20 years later, Terrible Ted took on Tracy Smothers. 
It's a strange sight made stranger by how seriously renowned wrestling commentator Gordon Soley called the action. He wasn't playing it like some sideshow. He tried to make it sound like a battle of two gladiators. Soley described Ted as 550 pounds of supple muscle. Earlier, he had credited the bear with countering one of Smothers' moves, solely treating Ted as he would any other oversized participant in the squared circle, like a showman and an athlete. The only ursine grappler with a more famous list of foes than terrible Ted was Victor the Wrestling Bear. Billed as being anywhere from 400 to 800 pounds, Victor reportedly went on a winning streak that would catch even Andre the Giant's eye. As Lodi News Sentinel claimed in 1976, the bear was said to have won over 10,000 matches. And George Ellison of Smoky Mountain News noted that at least two of those came against wrestling legends Gorgeous George and Wahoo McDaniel. The destroyer, real name Dick Byer, a member of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, was among Victor's most notable opponents, one of the unlucky men to experience Victor's Matt Acumen firsthand. As the masked man locked up with the animal, the crowd appeared to be unsure of how to react. Perhaps they feared for the destroyer's safety. Perhaps they were simply stunned this exhibition was actually taking place. In terms of in-ring action, there's little to discuss. Victor just seemed to be toying with the wrestler. Even so, a trainer came to reward the beast. He handed Victor a bottle of Coca-Cola, which the bear happily chugged down. Gary Hart, who became famous as the manager for the great Muta and others, faced Victor as well. This time, the action was mostly on the mat, with Hart trapped under the bear's girth. Like so many of these matches, it's slow, and compared with the action-packed collisions wrestling fans are used to, surprisingly boring. But don't tell that to Danny Hutchins. Lexington, North Carolina's Dispatch detailed an incident in 1981 that the wrestler would never forget. Victor had already taken on four other comers that night in Chesapeake, Virginia. Hutchins' night ended with him in the hospital. As he tried to slip out of a hold, Victor rolled onto him. Hutchins said, The bear put all of his weight on me. It was like he snapped or something. Victor's weight broke the man's ankle and damaged several ligaments in his kneecap. As one would guess, this was not the first time that Victor had hurt someone. Charles G. Smith, an Army corporal, accidentally slipped his hand past the bear's muzzle. It takes no psychic to figure out what happened next. As David Pincus wrote for Deadspin, the bear chomped down with his back teeth and bit most of his left pinky finger clean off. Freddie Blassie had seen his own share of danger in a match against a bear. He recalled in his autobiography that his massive opponent fell atop him as well. Blassie said, During a previous match with a wrestling bear, another guy had accidentally slipped the muzzle down. Once the bear was able to use his teeth, he bit the wrestler's thumb off. I was thinking about this when the bear sat on me. 800 pounds of dead weight. Still, wrestlers agreed to do these matches. Some of them were the struggling, low-card nobodies who would take on any assignment. But some were bigger names, from Graham to Blassie. Hall of Famer Roddy Piper once ventured into this odd world. The late Piper battled Victor as well. He told IGN, Oh, I hated him. It wasn't a good night for Rod. Hot Rod went into more detail about that matchup in an appearance on the Electric Morning Show on 92.9 WBPM-FM. He talked about the bear sitting on his hind legs, drinking a pint of wild turkey. 
The trainer had taken the animal's front teeth, but Piper was still apprehensive about challenging him. That feeling worsened when he realized the trainer had smeared honey onto the back of his trunks. So when the action began, he had to worry not just about angering the bear and avoiding an injury, but also about the, but also about the bear pulling off his shorts and trying to find more honey somewhere between his cheeks. I'm laughing so hard at this point, I can't type. <sighs> These bouts faded away not long after Smothers' encounter with Ted and Piper's run-in with Victor. Bear wrestling is not something one will see in a sanctioned wrestling environment. It's instead an underground, antiquated enterprise. As a barometer of how much society has changed in that regard, read the fine print of the video hyping Smothers' most recent bear match. The retired wrestler is billed as going back into the bear grappling business for a 2015 event dubbed Old Wrestling Extravaganza, with old spelled O-L-D-E. In the YouTube clip in which Smothers promotes the bout, part of the description reads, A real, live, bear will not be wrestling. The act is illegal under the Ohio Revised Code, section 959.15. Old Wrestling is a theatrical production featuring fictional characters and professional wrestling bouts. A live bear will not be present. One has to imagine Piper, Blassie, and the others who face the real thing would have loved for this to have been the case during their time. And the winner is PETA, People for Ethical Treatment to Animals. Bear wrestling is now banned in 20 states. The remaining states are occupied by deplorable people who would probably still get a chuckle knowing the wrestler's shorts had just been smeared with honey before he entered the ring. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, where every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we release a new episode for your listening enjoyment. 1001 Stories for the Road was inspired by our big brother, 1001 Heroes, the research for which has turned up a treasure chest of great stories. Too short for our typical 45-minute shows at 1001 Heroes, and these stories, averaging about 15 to 20 minutes each, needed a new home. So we created 1001 Stories for the Road. We're available 24-7 at iTunes, our terrific host, audioboom.com, and everywhere great podcasts are found. We have two other 1001 shows out there, and we encourage you to give them a try. Those are 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. You can catch all our 1001 network shows and archives, including this one, at www.1001storiespodcast.com and we encourage your posts at facebook.com forward slash 1001 stories for the road we'll be back real soon